there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashwin, and today we're talking about The Shining from 1980, directed by Stanley Kubrick, written by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Johnson, based on the 1977 novel by Stephen King, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, and Scatman Crothers. And I chose this because it's one of my all-time favorites. It's streaming on Netflix right now, and Ashwin said he has never seen it. Is, is that true, Ashwin? Did you, I feel like this is a situation where I could see you watching it and realizing that you had seen it. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. I was just going to tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a movie I think I've avoided because, you know, I've always seen like the, the playtime of like, what, what is this, two hours, two and a half hours? Two hours and 22 minutes, I think. Yeah, and I've always been kind of put off by that. But yeah, when I started watching, I'm like, wait, I have seen this. Like all these scenes like felt really familiar. And so I guess at some point I must have seen it. Um, or maybe I just saw it in parts and uh, this is the first time watching it as a full film. But yeah, I, I guess I have to take that back. I, I, I did see it at some point. Yeah, I had a hunch. <laughs> it's very possible that you saw it in parts because I feel like part of the reason this is one of my favorites is when we were in like junior high or high school, it was on USA or one of those channels like oh. all the time, I feel like. Really not just like around Halloween, but like all year? Yeah, I think so. Wow, yeah. Because I just remember watching it on TV a lot as a kid. Dude, watching it on TV, that, that would have taken like three, three and a half hours given how long the uh, film is. Yeah, which is why I also have seen a lot of it in like chunks. And, <laughs> like I've seen it all the way through plenty of times, but I've definitely seen it in chunks yeah. more times than that. And also, like, so many of the scenes in it are so, like, iconic and, like, uh, referenced through other pop media or pop culture that uh, it, it, all, it feels very familiar to anyone who's watching it. Yeah, the scenes are spoofed in a lot of other media. Like, I feel like The Simpsons probably spoofed it, like, a billion times. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, uh, man. And, and you said this is one of your favorite movies. Uh, I thought one of your favorite movies was House on Haunted Hill. So which, which one is it, man? Oh, that was more of a nostalgic favorite. Okay. This this is honestly, I think, tied for number one with It Follows for me. Wow. Okay. So oh, that's pretty bold, yeah. Basically, I'm a kid standing here holding a balloon and Ashvin standing by with a needle in his hand and I'm waiting <laughs> to see what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Hope you're ready for this. <laughs> I love crushing your childhood uh, you know, memories and uh, <laughs> fa- your favorite things, everything you love. This is my favorite part I, of this. I think it just makes me like them more. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, man. That's good. <laughs> okay. So if you haven't seen this movie, I'd be surprised if anyone listening hasn't, but writer and recovering alcoholic Jack Torrance accepts a job as caretaker at an isolated hotel for the winter where supernatural encounters with the hotel's dark past could lead to tragedy for him, his wife, and his son. And technically this is a hotel, but this is like a quintessential haunted house movie to me. Mm-hmm. It's it, like you'd put a, a haunted house and in, in like similar to House on Haunting Hill, like a bunch of ghosts in the closets and things popping out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like the very standard haunted house vibe, but that's essentially what it is. People in a place, physical place that's haunted. 
Interesting. I, I, I yeah, I mean, you know, watching it the full uh, length through, I, I almost felt like this wasn't uh, a clear haunted movie or a haunting movie. Like, I, I felt like a lot of the ghosts in it might have been psychological or like up for interpretation if they're even there. And I, I almost didn't feel like the haunted angle was, was played up that well. But you, you think at the essence, this is about a haunted hotel? I think so. Um, and that's what the book is about. But the movie has, the movie is definitely open for interpretation. A lot of people think and feel a lot of different things about this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's something I really so liked yeah, about it. It is open to interpretation to an extent. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing I really liked about it is, is it's kind of ambiguous. Uh, you don't know where like the scares are coming from, uh, at least in the movie version. Have you read the book? Yes. And um, and and it's it's a little more overt in the book that like the the, the actual hotel is haunted. Yeah, I see. Yeah, and there's a lot of differences from the book and the movie that we won't get into all of them, and I don't want to spoil the book, but. The ending is very different, and I think one of the key things is that Jack is likable in the at the book mm-hmm. up to a certain point. It's like he slowly goes crazy, and then in the movie, you kind of start out from the get-go with Jack being kind of <laughs> nuts. Yeah. <laughs> or at least very off-putting and creepy. Yeah. I couldn't tell if that was like the way it was meant to be, or that's just happened when uh, anytime you cast Jack Nicholson, he's gonna be it's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be an asshole right off the bat. Yeah, <laughs> has Jack Nicholson like ever been like a, a nice guy in a movie or like a lovable character? You know, I think he has, but I probably haven't seen enough of his movies to be honest. Oh, he's uh, he's lovable in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. And, and and I heard Stephen King didn't want him casted in this because uh, he had done one flew over the cuckoo nest and he had that kind of impression or image already of like this kind of crazy like off the handle guy and I, I think Stephen King wanted like someone who is more of like an everyday guy or someone you wouldn't like judge right off the bat in the beginning. Yeah. And Stephen King has, he hasn't denounced this movie but he does not appreciate it the way the rest of the world appreciates it. Yeah. I know. That was shocking. Because yeah. I, I actually feel like this is one of the better Stephen King movies I've seen. Agreed. Yeah. Stephen King kind of, I don't know if this is a direct quote, but he essentially said it's like a fancy car with no engine. <laughs> kind of like he thought it was all mine and no heart and was surface level. Yeah. I kind of think that plays into some kind of animosity between him and Kubrick. Because uh, I feel like uh, Stanley Kubrick would say like the same things about Stephen King's writing that it was like really weak. And like even like ignored like uh, his version of the screenplay uh, for, to to make their own. So I, I kind of I feel like it kind of goes back to some kind of conflict between the, the the director and the author here. Yeah, I do think Kubrick was. I think Kubrick might have said the opposite thing. Like, well, he's got too much heart and doesn't think enough. Like, oh, okay, yeah. So yeah, and yeah, Stephen King did have a screenplay for this, but the but Kubrick rejected it. Yeah, and wrote his own with uh, along with Diane Johnson. Yeah, man, that's tough. I, I mean, I, yeah. if I, if I was Stephen King, I'd, I'd feel the same way. Then, like someone else came and wrote the screenplay, and mine wasn't accepted. I mean, I'd, I'd be kind of upset about it for a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's fair, and it's it's it has changed enough. You could call it a drastic change from the book. Like, it's still the main char- main characters are still 
the same people. I mean, they have slightly different personalities, that's for sure. And it's the same overall story, but there are major details that are different. I see. Yeah. Is the book worth a read? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Okay. Um, and did you ever see or were you aware of the 1997 miniseries? No, it was on TV. The Shining? Nope. No, I never heard yeah, of it. Yeah, it was basically Stephen King's chance to do it right. And how how was that received? You know, I think kind of poorly, but some people actually like it. I remember liking it. I was a kid when I saw it, but yeah. But I thought it was pretty good. I guess I was fourteen. Yeah, that's that's so crazy because uh, s- similar with it, right? That also had like a mini series on TV. Um, yeah, and I think there's another series too that Stephen King has done that was turned into like a mini series on TV. The the Langoliers yeah. is that what it was? Yeah, I think it was the Langoliers. Yeah, and I like do any of those. I like do those work better for like because his books are so long, and I feel like that's so challenging to turn that into like a concise movie. So do, do those formats play better to his style? You know, I guess that's up for interpretation. I, I can't remember quite how long the miniseries was. Mm-hmm. It was definitely over three hours right um but yeah i i don't know i just feel like this movie stands alone as its own different thing Mm -hmm. even though the book is great like it it ended up working yeah yeah i I agree i think the the movie does stand alone uh and i I haven't read the book so yeah it's interesting how that's very different from that yeah um so kubrick Speaking of their, you know, kind of butting heads over this, he is a super, like, particular dude. Mm-hmm. Like, very meticulous. And you can see it in the movie, but he was kind of notorious. Like, this movie's almost famous for how hard he was on the actors. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially Shelley Duvall. Did you read anything about that? I heard there was a, there's one scene in this movie that has, like, a record for how many times they had to shoot it, like, 127 times on, like, that one scene where she's swinging a bat at Jack Nicholson. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, and I've heard some other people on the movie, like, dial that back to, like, 40 takes, but mm-hmm. even 40 takes of her, like, walking upstairs backwards swinging a bat. Yeah pretty grueling and he was just like abusive to her in general yeah she like had physical illness and hair loss during the shooting of it like exhaustion yeah it was pretty bad that's crazy i think he like told other people not to like comfort her or like be there for her like he wanted her in this position this psychological condition wow was this guy like notorious for being that kind of director or was this like a one-off thing yeah there were definitely actors who like didn't want to work with him again after they did a movie with him. Wow. It's crazy because he's such like a praised and acclaimed director that you, yeah. you, you would think, you know, he was loved in the industry, but if, yeah, it sounds like maybe he, he wasn't. Yeah. He's a very, very particular type of dude. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this, is this like his only horror film? Cause I, I mean, I know he's done like other like darker movies. Um, but I, I didn't see any that were, that were like straight out horror. Like this one is. I think this is his only horror, yeah. Um, 2001's got some creepy vibes to it, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that? I didn't. 2001 s- A Space Odyssey? No, no, I didn't see it. I just assumed that was more like sci-fi, though. It is, yeah, but it's got some creepiness to it, and then A Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah, that's a classic. Know, that's pretty... It's not horror, but it's intense. It's, yeah. 
pretty dark and heavy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, oh, speaking of different interpretations of this movie, have you heard of this documentary called Room 237? Uh, no, yeah, yeah, I just heard about it uh, in researching this film, but is, is it something his daughter has put together? Or no, I think she did the making of The Shining. Sorry, no, I, 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 haven't, I haven't seen the Room 237. Is that any good? Yeah, I think his daughter did do like a making of The Shining type documentary, but Room yeah. 237 is interesting. I didn't even finish it. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of people like giving their interpretations of the film. Wow. And a lot of them are really out there. Like there's some who think that it's all him trying to say that he helped the government fake the moon landing. Right. <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that's crazy, right? Uh, well, so, so in the book, it's it's actually Room 217, and, and in the movie they do 237, right? Yeah, yeah, I think... I can't remember why they changed it. I think the hotel requested that they change it because they didn't have a Room 237. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and yeah, so yeah, they change to 37 and then they tie it to the, the space landing or the, the, the fact that Stanley Kubrick might've been part of like the faking of that based on, uh, it, the moon is 237,000 miles from earth. Is, is that the logic? Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah. Strange. And then like Danny's wearing like an Apollo 11 shirt. Wow. <laughs> There's some other stuff too. I can't even remember all the points they made, but huh. it was pretty wild. What do you think? You think, you think it's true? No. You you no. you think we actually landed on the moon? I do think they landed on the moon. Do you? No, man. Why would we land on it once <laughs> and never be able to land on it again? Can you can you explain that part? I think it's because it's pretty worthless. Um, I th- I think, but but we've tried after that, and we haven't been able to. And then we like it's like when you can't do something, then you're like, ah, you know, it's worthless anyway. Uh, I I don't think it's for a lack of effort that um we haven't made up there, but I, I it's just really random that like one time we would have made it and hung out on the moon and put a flag down, but then we can't seem to replicate that at all. All right, people, Ashvin's on record is not believing in the moon landing. And yeah, and I think I think there's something to this conspiracy theory where uh, Stanley Kubrick is, like, coming out in, in this movie with his confession. Like, it's a cry for help almost. <laughs> it is. You know, he's probably, like, tied to, by, like, some legal contract with the government, and so he's just using these films to kind of uh, voice that. Right, and that would be the... I'm sure that was part of the logic in that theory is that he couldn't couldn't say it, but yeah. this is how he tried to hint. Yeah, little hints throughout. You know, I ha- yeah. I might go and actually watch that Space Odyssey movie because I feel like there are probably hints in that one too. I think that was a big part of it too, is like, look at how well he did that movie. Like, he was perfectly qualified to fake the moon landing. <laughs> he probably used the same set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, shoot, I don't know when the moon landing was. It might have happened before the Space Odyssey. Oh, Space Odyssey was before this movie? Space Odyssey was from 1968. Oh, okay, okay. And I should know when the moon landing happened, but... I think it was right around pur- that time. Purportedly happened, but I don't. Yeah, I feel like it was either a little bit... Bef- I, yeah, it might have been a little bit before that time. Seems like it was before that, yeah. Yeah. Um, there is one theory I found kind of believable that like the whole movie is kind of about the plight of Native Americans and how the white man like just committed genocide and pushed them out of their land. Interesting. Uh, and, and like the hotels are kind of like a metaphor for that. Yeah. Like the whole movie kind of is like they say the hotel was on 
built on an Indian burial ground and they had to like drive away Indian t- attacks while it was being built. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the guys at the hotel says when he's explaining what happened at the hotel, like it's hard to believe it happened here, but it did. Sure. And that's kind of like a thought of like, oh, that horrible, all that horrible stuff happened here in our own country. But like, oh, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of Native American art throughout the hotel. Yeah. And um, I think there's some racism towards Dick Holleran and. Oh, yeah. There's just some, some stuff that leads one to believe that it's kind of about the white man, like. And imperialism. I think at one point Jack quotes Jack says white man's burden in the bar scene. Oh. I didn't catch and that. And that is I think it's either the title of the of a poem or in a poem that's essentially about imperialism and like encouraging imperialism. Wow. And was any of that in the book or is that like uh Stanley Kubrick's That's on? Kubrick. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, I mean that, those are some yeah. pretty good parallels. Yeah, yeah, it's it, that's the only argument to me that was like, kind of made me stop and think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I know mean, a lot of people say like Kubrick was such a like deep filmmaker. He was always like trying to make his movies about something more than they actually were. Right, right. And so if that's the case, then I could believe it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's pretty cool if he was able to package that in. I, I yeah. thought that was more like a, a similar trope that, because um, there have been other movies that take place, and I, I thought even Stephen King is guilty of this, but like Pet Cemetery, I feel like, is centered around, uh, you know, an, an old uh, Indian burial ground, um, or Native American burial ground, and then same with, uh, what was that movie, Poltergeist, uh, they would reference like, oh, this house is haunted because it's built on a Native American burial ground. So uh, I, I just kind of thought it was like a common trope. That was in there, right? It definitely is. Yeah. So yeah, it could it could be nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. But I I like that idea though that it's it's uh, maybe pointing towards the broader story there. Yeah, yeah. It's fun to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of layers to this movie for sure. Yeah, indeed. And uh, um, so this movie also introduced uh, the steady cam. Did did you see that? Yeah, it was like one of the first six movies to feature the Steadicam. And is that something people are still using today? I believe so, yeah. I'm sure it's been... You know what, actually, I feel like I may have heard somewhere that it really hasn't been improved. Like the Steadicam they use today is pretty much... The same, yeah. The one that was made, but I'm I'm not sure on that. I mean, conceptually it sounds similar. Like the, the whole point is like you can walk around with it and not, uh, it doesn't feel like the camera is like moving up and down. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently the inventor of the Steadicam was heavily involved in in the production of the movie and was the one operating the Steadicam a lot of the time. Oh, cool. He's actually the camera guy? Yeah, yeah the dude who invented it That's awesome. was the camera guy for for a good number of shots. And apparently he it sounds like he like learned a lot oh, on wow. the on the movie like, "Oh, here's how I can perfect the use of this." Wow, that's awesome. Well, he had like yeah. uh, he had like five years to do it, right? Didn't this movie take five years to make? I I've, I've read some different things. I read like fifty one weeks. I read over a year. Mm-hmm. Where, did you see five years? I saw five years somewhere, but maybe that might have been like maybe they shot it all in you know a certain amount of time, and then it was just like in post production edits or whatever for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess I can't substantiate that. It's hard to verify some of the information on this stuff. Yeah. 
but I feel like sometimes it's out there and then it's repeated over and over again and mm-hmm. you lose track of the verification of it. Yeah. But it's, it is cool that it's such like an old movie and such a classic that there's like so much trivia out there. And yeah, you're right. No, some of it's probably not true. Um, unlike the moon landing conspiracy, I mean, that one's definitely true, but some of the other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> <Who knows? laughs> um, any, there's a lot of background info on this, but anything else you feel we should really get in before we start to move on? Uh, no, no. I, th- I, th- I think, uh, we hit some of the most interesting points. So cool. yeah. Uh, Ohio Connection. There is a journalist, a sports journalist, that did this kind of analysis of LeBron's performance mm-hmm. and discovered that he did better in front of certain celebrities mm-hmm. than like his career averages. Yeah. And one of those celebrities was Jack Nicholson. Oh, man. I feel like I've seen so many photos of Jack Nicholson like sitting front row on uh, on the court court side on a baseball or sorry basketball game. Uh, that, isn't that like his thing now? He just goes to basketball games. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, he's always there. Yeah, is he a big like LeBron Lakers fan? Games. Uh, I don't know how he feels about LeBron, but he's a diehard Lakers fan. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so I'm sure he likes LeBron now. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they're they're buddy buddy now. And uh, you've you've actually been to this uh, hotel, right? I went, I've been to the Stanley Hotel, which is what inspired Stephen King when he was writing this. Oh. He'd come in his family vacation there. Got it. And I like had a drink at the bar that inspired the bar scene. Okay, got it. Yeah, uh, but nothing was filmed there. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the hotel they filmed it at, it's actually like in Oregon or something? Yeah, Mount Hood, Oregon right. for some of the exterior shots. But then a lot of the interior shots were just sets that they made. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like they built some very elaborate sets for this movie. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But I, I think it, the miniseries that happened in 1997 was filmed at the Stanley. Oh, cool. Uh, in Estes Park, Colorado. Is the Stanley nicer than the the one that they shot it at? I don't know. Oh. Yeah. Well, you've been to the Stanley, right? Yeah, but I haven't been to the one that they uh, shot yeah. it at. Yeah, right. let's, let's. <laughs> but like exterior. Yeah, I mean they were both pretty impressive on the outside. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I wonder Hard why they didn't, why they didn't go with the, stick with like the source material, but yeah, yeah, who knows? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm sure Kubrick had some very particular reasons. Yeah, <laughs> that's why he didn't like Stephen King's uh, screenplay. <laughs> like that hotel sucks. Yeah. <laughs> we're writing Just the script off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They left bad mints on the pillows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, man. Well, uh, let's move on to the plot. But before we do that, I could swear I hear the water running upstairs, but I'm home alone right now. So I think I'm going to go check that out. All right. Good luck. Yeah. All right. I'll be right back. Okay, man, I'm back. Hey, everything okay? I think so. It was um, this old, kind of confused lady who apparently had wandered into the wrong house and was taking a bath in our tub. Oh, I do that sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I forget where I am, and I just wander into people's houses, and 
take baths. You, you don't do that? Like, that's not a natural thing to do? I mean, if I do it, it's not. I don't immediately take a bath. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's usually my first reaction. I can just change this home. <laughs> it's bath time. Uh, you didn't feel the need to make out with her or anything? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, we both just had a good laugh over it. Oh. <laughs> Wrong house. <laughs> uh. Okay. So we'll get to that scene. I'm sure you all know what we're talking about. But we start with an iconic shot of Jack's car driving in the Rocky Mountains. He's headed to the Overlook to interview for a position as caretaker there. He gets the job and they warn him about something horrible that happened in the hotel's past. Ten years ago, this former caretaker, Grady, chopped up his wife and daughters and then shot himself. They, like, chalked it up to a case of cabin fever. And Jack's like, oh, yeah, no worries. (laughs) He's a writer, and he's looking forward to the peace and quiet of, like, six months here stranded in this hotel in the winter. They'll presumably be snowed in. Uh, and then we meet his. Oh, go ahead. Oh, is, isn't don't you like feel like right off the bat like this is so uh, thematically similar to Misery, which is also like a writer in the snow somewhere in Colorado who's like gone somewhere to like write. Uh, uh, and, and even like the opening like credits are like similar, which is like a car driving through the uh, snow. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, 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 and as I think Steve mentioned in our Misery episode, he really loved writers as a main character. Yeah, I was wondering, if there, are there other movies that kind of kick off with the same premise of Stephen King? Or are these like the two big ones about writers? Um, Good question. I'm sure there's other stories he's done featuring writers, but I think, these uh, are the first two that come to mind. I think Pennywise, if you watch the prequel, was actually a writer driving through the snow. <laughs> <laughs> Lost his way, ended up in a sewer. Yeah, it's a serious case of writer's block that drove him crazy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we meet his wife and son, Danny. They're at home waiting to hear the results of his interview. And Danny has an imaginary friend named Tony that he mimes talking with by moving his little finger up and down. Um, and Tony predicts that Jack is about to call Wendy and tell her the news that he got the job. So right away we're like, okay, Danny has this weird ability and what's up with his imaginary friend. And after he talks to Tony, he has a vision and I think in the vision he sees a hotel room door numbered 237. And then mm-hmm. he sees blood flowing out of an elevator, like a tidal wave of blood. Mm-hmm. And then he passes out. And doctor comes to see him and uh, Wendy's talking to the doctor. And we learn that in the past, Danny's had his shoulder dislocated by Jack. Jack did it in like a drunken fit of rage. And Jack has since stopped drinking. So we kind of have the setup that things may not be all well in the family and that Jack is a recovering alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Then the whole family's driving to the hotel. Jack's already creepy, just the way he interacts with them. They get there, they take the tour and learn the ropes, and Danny and Wendy are shown the kitchen by the cook, Dick Holleran. And Dick asks Danny if he wants some ice cream, but he does it in his mind so that only Danny can hear. Then him and Danny go off on their own, and they have a sit-down, and Dick explains that some people have this ability that the two of them have, and his grandma called it The Shining. And he explains that the hotel also has an ability like The Shining, and some very bad things happened here, but they're just like pictures in a book if he sees anything. So uh, The the Shining is like the ability to project 
your thoughts into someone else's mind or is it the ability to receive uh, those thoughts from someone else? I think it's kind of all encompassing of whatever's going on in Danny's mind because Danny can kind of see the future. He can receive thoughts from other people. He can call out to other people mm-hmm. who also have the shining. Yep. And, and, uh, and apparently like a hotel can have that as well, huh? That's Dick's theory. Okay. Yeah. Um, Danny asks him what's up with room 237 and Dick's like nothing but never go in there. And this is a really good scene between the two of them and I feel like you really start to like Dick Holleran's character. Yeah, when, um, when they're eating the ice cream. Yeah. 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 Dick's presented as like a pretty nice uh, guy, a trustworthy character who's like looking out for the family. For sure. So we fast forward in time a bit. I think it's like a month from then. They've been at the hotel for about a month now. Jack loves it there. He like lights up whenever anyone asks him how he's like in the hotel. And it's probably like an hour into the movie before we see something supernatural or maybe before we see something truly creepy. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if this is an hour in or not, but Danny turns around at one point and sees two twin girls. Yeah. And I can't remember if they ask him to come play with them right away or if they just sit there speechless and then walk away. Um, yeah, I don't remember I if they said he that. also yeah. has I, I, like a flash of the blood coming out of the elevator again. Yeah, right. Um, meanwhile, tension between Wendy and Jack is kind of escalating because Jack wants to get work done and feels that Wendy is a distraction, the work being his writing. Mm-hmm. He never seems to have any caretaking responsibilities. In fact, you see Wendy do some of that. Yeah, yeah, she's like the one cooking, kind of cleaning, fixing things yeah. around there, yep. And she's like at one point like ticking off things on a clipboard as she's like inspecting a boiler or a radio or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, But anyway, Jack's just basically an asshole to her and is really demeaning to her. Yeah. And we get a scene where, like I was saying, she's like in the boiler room or something ticking things off and she hears Jack screaming. So she rushes over to his aid and he says he's had a nightmare that he killed her and Danny and chopped them up into little pieces. And he sees like he seems genuinely shaken by this, and this is one of the few times we actually get a glimpse into Jack being like a human with feelings. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, and as she's kind of comforting him, Danny walks up to them, and I think we had previously seen Danny enter room two thirty-seven. Yeah, it had shown him walking in there. Yeah, and he's like visibly like shaken. His sweater's torn, and we see bruises around his neck, and he's, like, sucking his thumb. And I think we see intercut scenes of him being strangled, even though we can't see the strangler. And Wendy accuses Jack, and is like, you did this to him, because who else could have done it? And Jack kind of freaks out. He's roaming the hotel, fuming mad about it, and he strolls into the ballroom and sits at the bar and starts talking as if there's a bartender there. And then you cut away from Jack, and indeed there is this bartender named Lloyd. And they have a discussion. Lloyd's pouring him drinks. He explains his problems with Wendy. And there's a lot of misogyny in this movie, looking back on it. Mm -hmm. He, like, calls Wendy the old sperm bank upstairs. Right. Yeah. And, and like, the bartender's, like, kind of, like, encouraging him or, like, on his side about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this is definitely one of the iconic scenes of the movie that... 
I think is definitely spoofed in other media, just him talking to Lloyd, the bartender. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets interrupted when Wendy comes into the room and tells him there's a woman in room 30, 237 and she's the one that did that to Danny. So Jack goes up there to investigate and he sees this beautiful woman in the bathtub. She's completely naked as one is in a bathtub. Yeah. Unless you're never nude. And she <laughs> approaches him and like they start kissing. And then he pulls away from her and sees that she's now become this old lady whose flesh is like literally rotting in like green splotches. And mm-hmm. she just starts cackling this like hideous laughter. And he is like stumbling and backing away and freaking out. And she's just cackling him, cackling and like slowly following him. Yeah. Another iconic scene. Yeah. That was, that was a pretty scary scene. And, and I, I feel like the makeup was done pretty well too. Yeah. Like it sounds a little silly to describe it, but it is freaky. Yeah. Especially I, I think given like, this is the first time we're seeing like a, a, a real ghost or like something grotesque. I mean, you're, you're seeing, I guess the blood in the, the twins uh, earlier, but this is one of the really scary pop out moments. Yeah. And I can't remember if this scene happened earlier. Or it happens later. I think it does happen earlier, but one of the other ki- iconic scenes is Danny riding his big wheel around the hotel hallways. Yeah. That's really And this is a great example of a steady cam, which is like behind him, just following him. Right. So the shots are incredible. Yeah. Basically every shot in this movie is like beautiful. Yeah. They really, the cinematography is great. Yeah. It's like in like hypnotizing to watch, but he sees the two twins in the hallway who are like, come and play with this Danny mm-hmm. forever and ever. And you get intercut shots of them, their dead bodies, like with blood splattered all over the walls. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so that bathroom scene happens and then Jack tells Wendy that nobody was in there. And I think it's just because he knows it'll make her want to leave. Like she already wants to get Danny out of there and take him to a doctor and he's not having it. He's like psychologically drawn to the place. I feel like at one point he says he's got deja vu, like to the extreme, like he's been here before. Yeah. Um, which kind of comes into play pretty soon here. So Jack ends up returning to the bar where he was drinking with uh, the bartender Lloyd. And it's a full party now. Like there's guests everywhere. It looks like they're all from the 1920s. And there he encounters Grady. Um, And Grady was the previous caretaker there. But Grady insists that Jack has actually always been the caretaker there. Um... And they have this just like iconic scene in a bathroom together where he's Grady's cleaning off Jack's jacket because he spilled something on it. And he tells Jack that his son is attempting to bring an outside party into the situation, which would be Dick Holleran. And he throws the N word out there. Uh, yeah, that's that so pretty again, shocking to, to come out of nowhere. Yeah. 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 And like the conversation between them is very misogynistic and racist and just he's got a duty to like discipline his family. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about how when he first came to the hotel, his daughters attempted to burn the hotel down and he corrected them. Mm-hmm. And he just like the way he says it, he's like, I corrected them. And then he did the same with his wife when she tried to interfere. And he's essentially being like, you need to do the same, like get your family in line. 
Yeah, I feel like what's going on, uh, and, and they, I feel like what they're trying to show is like he's really lining up with like the hotel and with like these ghosts, and it's like them versus uh, his his uh, wife and son, and that's kind of like the same dialogue that this guy's kind of pumping him up. It's like you know you got to take care of them or you got to correct them. Yeah, yeah, it's starting to feel like the hotel is this force that wants Jack to kill mm-hmm. Danny and Wendy. Yeah, and Jack is definitely. St- like under its sway for sure. Yep. More and more so all the time. Even though he was crazy from the get-go, it's it's more intense now. Yeah, that um yeah, that 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 one thing like I don't know when he started being crazy cuz I yeah, I feel like I don't know if it's just Jack Nicholson or whatever, but he's kind of like uh I, I don't know, he's kind of he's crazy from the beginning in this one. Yeah, that is one flaw I noticed in on this viewing is like there's no clear moment where he's like Yeah truly descended across the boundary because like one day he's like oh i must be losing my mind i had a dream i killed you and the next day he's like i'm gonna have to kill you now yeah, exactly <laughs> and, you, and you don't really see the uh i don't know there's not that much of a a direct route shown to the changes yeah and you know i, I kind of think that speaks to um because uh did, did you um i mean i think you referenced this uh the part where he's been, he's told like, uh, he's always been the caretaker or something. Right. By, right. by Brady. We already passed that part. Right. Yeah. Yep. And, and I, I kind of think that it's speaking to that element that, um, you know, maybe he was always like this and this is just like him being himself. And, uh, maybe that's why you don't see like a, a character change to this movie versus him just like becoming stronger and stronger as like of who he is or something. Right. Cause he's already, he's always been the caretaker there. Like, yeah this is him he's always been an asshole yeah. yeah that's definitely a part of the movie that's that's open for interpretation especially with the ending yeah yeah which we'll get to soon mm-hmm. um so i think then you get a scene where wendy is like down in the writer's room she's got a baseball bat she's determined she's gonna take danny out of there regardless of whether or not jack agrees with her and Jack isn't in there, and she stumbles upon these pages that he's written, and it just says on every line of every page, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. And so great iconic shot of her just flipping page after page after page. It all says the same thing. Yeah, hundreds of pages. And and, and the formatting is all different, like on every page. Yeah, which just makes it all the more creepy. Yeah, like you know in, in making this movie, someone like individually typed out each one of those pages. It's kind of Yeah, crazy. apparently it was Kubrick's secretary and it took her like weeks. Oh my God, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure it was on a typewriter instead of yeah, a computer. Exactly. So you can't just copy and paste. Yeah, yeah. And, and plus like if every page like kind of looks a little bit different, then yeah, that, that, that's hard. Yeah. Um, So then he approaches her and... She's creeped out. She's, he's like trying to get the back bat from her, and she's swinging the bat, and she's like crying. And eventually, she hits him, knocks him unconscious, and she drags him into a food storage locker and locks him in there. Mm-hmm. And he yells at her like, "Go check out the uh, radio and the snowcat," and basically sabotaged her escape. Like the radio's out, the snowcat, which is like the little vehicle that gets them through the snow, has been he's pulled enough spark plugs out of it that it's no longer operational. Mm-hmm. Um, and while he's locked in here, he has a conversation with Grady again, who's on the other side. And he's basically like, Hey, we're starting to doubt your abilities here. Like your wife's stronger than, than we had imagined and more resourceful. 
Which is another thing maybe we can talk about in our review, uh, Wendy's role. Yeah. Or Wendy's character. Mm-hmm. Um, he convinces Grady to let him out. Meanwhile, we see Dick Holleran, who's received telepathic info from Danny, that kind of is letting him know that things are not all right at the hotel. So he's embarked on this long journey to get up there. He's going to take a snowcat up there by himself. Yep. And, and uh, also, at this point, Danny like has... Uh, he's kind of gone away and like his imaginary friend Tony has taken over, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a great scene where he's like, Danny's not here right now, Mrs. Torrance. Like, yeah, his personality has been overtaken by his imaginary friend. Yeah, and, and I mean, that, that that's like one of the scary elements too, like the, the voice he does when he's talking as his imaginary friend. Yep, that's yeah. pretty freaky. And in that voice, he's saying, like, red rum, red rum over and over again. Mm-hmm. And goes and writes it on the wall in Wendy's lipstick. And then Wendy wakes up, sees it in the mirror, and it says murder. Right. And I think this is kind of like a warning, like a telepathic warning from Danny. Because right then, Jack is coming into the room. Yeah. And they lock themselves in the bathroom. We get the iconic scene with Jack chopping down the door. He says, here's Johnny. Which, and Wendy's able to like shimmy Danny out the window, and I guess uh, he improvs that right when he when he knocks when he's like with the axe and he like breaks the door and he yells, "Here's Johnny!" Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, which I think I read that Kubrick was English, so he didn't really understand the significance <laughs> of that because he wasn't familiar with Johnny Carson. Yeah, <laughs> like ten years later after the movie, he's like watching TV and he's like, "Ah, oh, that's where it's from." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So Danny has escaped through the window. They're on like a, I feel like the fourth floor or something, but the snow drifts have piled up so high that Danny is escape, able to like slide down, um, the snow. Wendy can't get out the window cause she can't fit. And just as things are looking kind of dire for Wendy, Jack hears a snow cat approaching. So he runs downstairs and Wendy's able to open the bathroom door and get out of there. So the snowcat was Dick Holleran. There's a long scene of Dick wandering the hotel, calling out for somebody, and Jack ends up jumping out from behind a pillar and giving him an axe to the stomach or the chest. And, and this is a very common thing in Stephen King stories or movies where like, there's a buildup around some character coming to save them who's just like killed immediately. Yeah, and I think we talked about that in Misery. Yeah, Misery. the same thing happened. Right, yeah. Um, the sheriff, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now at this point, Danny has wandered back into the hotel and Jack sees him and chases him outside. Meanwhile, Wendy is coming back downstairs looking for Danny. And meanwhile, she's encountering all these ghosts on the, her way out of the hotel. So she sees a dude in a bear costume who seems to be performing oral sex on this other dude. That's what it was. Uh, yeah, uh, I think. Yeah. It's not very overt. Yeah. There's a dude who's got his head stitched back together and says, like, enjoying the party. Mm-hmm. She sees the blood coming out of the elevator that Danny's been seeing in his mind the whole time. She sees Holleran's body, which is not a ghost. It's what really happened. And then one scene that struck me that I totally forgot, she sees the lobby, like, covered in cobwebs and, like, a bunch of skeletons sitting yeah. in the chairs. Yeah. That was kind of like uncharacteristic of the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, the, the rest of the time you're seeing like live ghosts or whatever, and then here's just like a bunch of skeletons. That that was really weird. And it was just kind of such a like a horror movie trope. Like it almost reminded me of that scene in The Goonies where they like, 
find the abandoned ship. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good comparison. So, meanwhile, Jack has chased Danny into, or maybe Danny leads Jack into this giant hedge maze, hedge maze that's on the property. And Danny is able to outsmart him by backing over his own footsteps in the snow. So, Jack follows the footsteps, not realizing Danny has backed up. And Danny can essentially run out of the mage while Jack is still looking for him. And Jack is starting to suffer from... I think they're insinuating that he's starting to suffer from hypothermia because his words start to become slurred and it's just like nonsense. Yeah. Um, Danny and Wendy reunite, get on the snowcat, and head down the mountain. And then we see a shot the next... Presumably the next day. It's daytime now. And Jack is just frozen as a corpse in the hedge maze. Yep. And then the last shot of the movie is a zoom in on a picture hanging on the wall in the hotel that says July 4th ball 1921 with all these 1920s ladies and gentlemen in the frame. And then Jack is right in front center of this shot having fun at the party. <laughs> yeah. So that ties back to you've always been the caretaker here. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that's so confusing. Like that line and then that picture at the end and ending on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a paradox. Yeah. And um, there was apparently another scene of the movie, which was in the original release included. And then like Kubrick had theaters send it back and he cut it. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you read about that? Uh, is this with uh, her in the hospital? Yeah. And then like, I think Danny and Wendy are in the hospital and somebody comes in. I think like a police officer comes in and says they never found Jack's body. Yeah. Right. Which kind of adds to the whole, like, did the hotel reabsorb him or what's the deal there? Right. Right. Yeah. Which I'm glad they cut that scene. It seems like that would have been unnecessary. Yeah. Agreed. Um, and I, I kind of like it the, this way where uh, the, the supernatural element is kind of downplayed. You know, he's, yeah. He's just yeah, the guy yeah I think it him. leaves it more open for interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For sure. My thought is the fact that Wendy is seeing all the ghosts too makes it so that it's not just a psychological thing. Yeah, she sees the ghosts. Uh, you know, we know the kid sees it. We know uh, he sees it. So yeah, I, I think you're right. I, th- I think there are enough indicators here that there, this was actually a haunted hotel. Yeah, all three of them see it, and then Dick Dick has seen it too. So oh, uh, he mentions that uh, in the beginning, or well, I mean, I don't think he would warn Danny that the hotel shows you things that are like pictures in a book if he hadn't seen them himself sure yeah yeah and he's like yeah telling him yeah. that the hotel is the shining so yeah 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 you're probably exactly. right yeah and uh um, all, all the murdered uh people we see i mean are they is it the brady family throughout it or is it like other families that have been murdered or any idea who those ghosts are yeah it's hard to say you presume the girls are his daughters yeah um the guy who had his head stitched back together you would think was Grady, but he didn't look like the Grady in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think there's more going on there than just the uh, Grady murders. Right, yeah. Right. Um, well, we can keep talking about how we feel about it, but I'm going to jump right to the rating because oh. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> Great to it. Uh, what's, what's the metric? Uh... Make out sessions with a rotting corpse. Oh man, no, I like those. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, man, I, you know, as much as I love to crush your dreams and 
and uh, and pick on uh, you know the, the movies you like. Uh, I, I like this one a lot, man. I, I thought the cinematography and Jack Nicholson's performance alone, um, and and the and I think it was a pretty compelling storyline. So I, I think all those things and and the music too make this like a, a great movie. I'd, I'd give this a five. Nice. Yeah, I like this one a lot. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, me too, man. Wow. I, I love this movie. I could watch it over and over again. Yeah, I was surprised how watchable it was, given the length uh, of it. But it, it actually flowed pretty well. Yeah, man, I was, like, ready to hear some criticism from you, and, like, I could <laughs> I, I could understand some criticism, because, like, it's a long movie. Yeah. It could be called a little bit slow. Um, yeah. And, like... Yeah, it takes some liberties from the book, mm-hmm. but the pacing ends up really working. It just like all creates this sense of dread, like builds up the atmosphere and the tension. Yeah. The music is great, like you said. Like I mentioned it before, but literally every shot in the movie is beautiful. Like it's meticulously crafted. Right. Nice camera work. Um Yeah. Um, the acting is really good. Even though Jack's performance is crazy over the top, like yeah. it just works it fits in the movie somehow well i think that's what makes like the timing like the length of the movie so palatable is he's kind of like scary right from the beginning like you know he's abused his son you know he can go off the handle any moment and you know just not jack nicholson being jack nicholson like he's kind of this crazy guy and so i i wonder if it was more of like you know stephen king's version where you have like a normal character in the beginning who slowly like starts getting more uh you know more unhinged as the movie goes um I wonder if that would have felt longer versus like coming in with like someone who's like kind of scary to just to begin with. Yeah. And the fact that he's so scary, like it also kind of allows him to maybe ham it up a little bit. Like some of the scenes like in the bar are almost comical. Yeah. Um, so it's entertaining to watch him. Yeah, it really is. He really carries this movie uh, for big yeah. part. Um, and I think Danny and uh, Wendy are great too. Yeah, I, did you, did you read some of the critiques? I think Stephen King wasn't thrilled about how um, how the wife was portrayed in this. Yeah, I think a lot of people think she's kind of portrayed kind of dopey. In, um, I don't know, like dopey and like just there and not very smart. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I, like, that was the way I thought about her when I watched it when I was younger. But yeah. seeing it now, I kind of feel like she's got a really good relationship with Danny. Yeah. She handles Jack being crazy as well as anybody could. Right. Like, she tries to remain optimistic. Mm-hmm. And, like, you see some shots of her doing the work that presumably Jack's supposed to do. Right. Yeah. And in the end, she, like, saves herself and her kid. I know. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. What do you want from her? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I agree with you. I, I feel like when I saw it a long time ago, part of me, like, thought she was still the woman from Popeye who, you know, is kind of dopey, right? What's what's Popeye's wife's name? Olive Oil. Olive, olive Oil? <laughs> yeah. Like, first and last name? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's her first and last name. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, you kind of assume like you know she's a very similar character to that, uh, and, and she's just kind of like this victim. But yeah, watching it in like a modern lens with an appreciation of like her in this role as a mother fighting like this crazy guy out in the like middle of nowhere, she does a does a good job. I I would think if there's a remake of this though, um, you might see more of a battle between those two. Like you, you saw it, but there was basically like one confrontation between them uh, w- with her with the bat. Um, I would think like in a modern film, they were, they would be a little bit more like 
her like kind of undermining him or like you know uh, oh you know figuring out ways to you know protect the child more uh but i I think for the 80s like i mean i think she was she did a good job yeah yeah and i think king thought he wrote like a stronger character than than wendy was yeah 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 i think she was strong even though it wasn't as obvious right right yeah and you know i i I just the whole theme here uh i what i like about Stephen king is like his movies are really about the characters and i I think uh, kubrick did a good job of like balancing like everything that was going on with Jack Nicholson and the ten- the family tension with like the scary elements. Like he didn't he didn't like put the scary elements right in your face or like you know overblow the this is a haunted hotel and it's all about these ghosts that are coming. And to me, it was about a, about a guy like battling like you know uh, the stress that he was under and like this isolationism and 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 the loneliness out there uh, and and that all like getting to his head and like this cabin fever just like ripping into him and, and causing him to like go after his family. I, I think that's like what was really scary about this film, not really the hotel itself. Yeah, for sure. Because it's not like you're seeing ghosts pop out of every corner. Yeah. Like, as iconic as these scary scenes are, they're few and far between like the bathtub and the twins. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the ghosts are just Jack talking to the ghosts. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's nothing like, uh, there's nothing like there are in modern ghost movies. Like right. they're just people. It's not like they're made up to be extra spooky. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. 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 They aren't like it a lot. Yeah. There aren't scenes like where they're popping out of closets or like it's, it's like really dark and in this dark room and suddenly you're surrounded by ghosts or anything. It's, it's very interesting to see that kind of movie. And, and that, I, I think that really helps it like kind of, uh, stay relevant because otherwise, like an '80s movie trying to do a similar thing, uh, they would have used like you know terrible effects, and that movie would have been kind of corny. But you could watch the same; it still feels pretty modern because they didn't rely on a lot yeah. of that. Exactly, it would have felt dated if they had done more special effects. There wasn't even much violence in the movie. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's aside from the volumes of blood coming out of the elevator, there's not that much blood. Exactly. Yeah. Would you say this is more of like a psychological thriller? It has the feel of one to me, mm-hmm. but it's it. I still think at its heart, it's a ghost story. Yeah. But I don't know. It's like a ghost story, but it's also really just about a man losing his mind. Yeah, a man who's like a who's known to be an alcoholic. Who like I mean, has this guy even written a book, or is this his first time trying to write a book? I think it might be his first time trying to. That's embarrassing. But I'm not sure. <laughs> I think he's a teacher. Yeah. So I don't know what his writing experience is on the side. Yeah. I can't remember in the book what his experience is as a writer. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because he seems like all serious about it. Like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, uh, seclude myself in this place and I'm going to be able to focus on my writing. And it's just funny. He's like a novice uh, writer who's never written anything before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of a tall order to be like, I'm, I'm going to take on six months in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. You think you could do it? You know, I think maybe I could. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you bring I've done six months in the woods before. Oh, yeah. Right. That's. But that is truly isolated, being in this hotel. Yeah, that sounds crazy, man. At least in the hotel, you could probably get Wi-Fi, Netflix, video games. Well, nowadays. But, like, they could barely talk to anybody because the phone lines were down. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. I'm pretty stranded and remote okay. out there. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we're getting high on time, so anything else you want to sneak in here before we wrap up? No, no. Great, great film, man. Good pick. Yeah, one of our few five out of five agreements. (laughs) I know. It's rare. (laughs) 
Okay, cool. Well, that is all for our episode on The Shining, folks. Uh, if you enjoyed it or didn't enjoy us, didn't enjoy us, uh, give us a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Um, talk to us on Facebook or Twitter. We're at Horror Movie Pod on Twitter. You can check out our website, horrormovieclub.com. Give us an email, podcast at horrormovieclub.com. Wow, I cannot speak podcast at horrormovieclub.com our logo is done by amy may pop art so check her out on etsy.com and until next time if a beautiful naked person randomly appears in your bathtub and tries to seduce you not only should you not cheat on your significant other by kissing them but you should in fact run for your life 